0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Today, we will be talking about the impact that leadership can have on mental health, as well as the access to mental health care. Today's guest is 20-plus-year retired Master Chief and the Don't Give Up the Ship podcast host. Hello, D-Guts What's host. Up? Yeah, how we go doing? ahead and introduce yourself to yeah, those who D-Guts don't know. Yeah, D-Guts is fine. About- I, I, we,
1: were just, we were just talking about how weird it is to not call me by my name, but I don't know. I'm not letting it go until I absolutely have to. Um, when I get Joe Rogan famous, if that ever happens, or at least like on Navy levels, Joe Rogan famous, maybe I'll start using my name, but... Um, yeah, so like you I mean, you said it, it's a pretty uh I, I would imagine for the audience because we publish this on my platform as well, that like they kind of know my background mostly. But I was a submariner, 21 years, retired in September. Uh you know, long and adventurous career, I guess. But um the you know, like the I got I went on the the adventure of the the D podcast platform thing based on a a frustration of what I was seeing. Uh, as an A school, I was an A school instructor and a chief of the A school, and then I became the SEL. And we had a lot of students like reaching back, asking for help with leadership development. And then that led to a bunch of other like uh, issues that have arisen over the time I've been doing it where we've just recognized these gaps where the, the Navy's not providing the robust leadership development and education that sailors deserve. And, and what can we do about that? Because um, like you going through the entire life cycle of a career until you're a chief or a senior chief and then ending up at the senior enlisted academy is not the answer. And, you know, like you can, you can say, oh, but this, oh, but that, like, and like ELD. And it's like, that's not a, a thing that's answering the question, at least right now. Maybe I'll be proven wrong in five years, but, and I hope I am, but here we are. So, um, And then that that kind of evolved into like where I was aiming at junior sailors, then it evolved to just everyone and a lot of leadership engaging, which makes sense. But that's not who I was aiming at initially. And it turned out I had more like board eligible first classes and like chiefs and senior chiefs listening than anyone else, Um, which turned out to be a good thing. Because those are the like they need they need the stuff just just as much as anyone else. And I was looking at it more like, let me start at the beginning uh, and help these kids that just don't know what to do. And then it. I recognize, well, they don't know what to do because the leadership incompetence that exists above them, because they've never been taught what to do either. And then it's just this doom cycle of like the blind leading the blind. And we, we end up with, you know, extremely stressed out sailors with acute mental health issues, including me, by the way, and we can talk about that too. But like the last six months of my career, I was on limb for mental health. And, you know, like some of that was like external, um, But a lot of it, it like I got, I was already seeing a therapist and I was already, uh, dealing with an anxiety and insomnia issue when some other stuff happened. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I, I recognize that as a gigantic issue and, and everything, arguably, I'm sure somebody could dream up an example where it's like, okay, maybe not that, but like. Everything that it, that sailors complain about on meme sites and on Reddit and everywhere that they have a, an outlet is you can trace it back to fail like leadership failure, just leadership incompetence. And,
0: and I'm so sure like, over the years, right? Over the years, you've seen it evolve, right? Because now mm. we have Facebook and Instagram yep. and TikTok and now Reddit, and the the thing that has evolved within even just the most cu- last couple of years is. Now there's the anani- anonymity factor, right? So you can hmm. go on and be anonymous on these Facebook yeah. groups and like really share the raw truth about yep. what is going on. And yeah. it's the, some of that stuff is just wild. Like, it's, yep. it's there's a
1: really there's a really great Facebook group. I don't know if they're still active, but they were called Saving Sailors. I imagine they still are. Um, and it was uh, a guest I had on that was uh, her name was. Uh, and I always kind of butcher her name, but it's uh, Bieda Batista. Uh, she runs a p- platform that, and again, like I, I don't know how active she is still doing that, but I know she's still on the social media account because I see that all the time. It's called To Go Ashore. And it was like, some, it was the design, was... Uh, she did a podcast for a little bit, and I think that kind of fell off because she's busy with work and she's a single mom. Um, but then she, her, her idea was to try to set up a platform to assist sailors with transitioning out of the military because she didn't think there was enough resources. And that was kind of like wh- just another one of the things we're failing at as an organization. So she was going to do that. And then she introduced me to there was it was a submariner chief um, that's an, originally started it with just a post. And then based on the post going viral, he like created this group and you can kind of go there, share your story and like get dialogue with other people that have gone through similar things and stuff. And it's really cool. That those types of things exist and we have those tools uh, like social media to do that. But then also like and and I, I, you could make an argument that we just weren't perceiving them on the same level that we are now because of all those tools, right? Like everybody has the, a, a mechanism to express where they're at and how they're doing. That they didn't because like when I was where you at you're at in your career, it was my space and I was organizing my top eight. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah. God. <laughs>
1: cringing yeah. just thinking about it. But like that's <laughs> what it was. And it was like that wasn't the you didn't have the type of functionality or or ability to like communicate and reach out quite like we do. I mean now it's just good God. I, I mean you could get a an itch that you need to scratch and the whole world finds out about it. Like because you it's there's just so many ways to to do that. Um, but I think there's a lot of really positive things that come from it for sure. Um, but I also think it can exacerbate it quite a bit. Like I, I've noticed for, for me personally, my anxiety is not like, I have to filter what I take in. If that, like I have to curate what I'm consuming. Like so my wife likes to watch like rant reels and just like all this crap on the internet and she'll find something wild and want to show me. And I'm like, what is it? And she kind of, sometimes she gets kind of frustrated because she just wants to show me what she thinks is funny. And it's like, okay, great. I can't, I'm not trying to watch like some two drunk chicks fighting in a casino. Like I don't, that, that, it bothers me. Like it really does. Like just, and I just have noticed like the things that I can consume that don't affect me. And then there's things I can consume that do. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in anything that's going to like, you know bother me in that way. And it's like mostly just mindless crap that I don't want anything to do with anyway. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Like I've, I've noticed I definitely have, I personally have to curate like what I'm taking in from these platforms, even though a lot, there's a lot of good to be had as well.
0: 100%. Yeah. Um, You know, I started listening to your podcast maybe about a year ago
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: I stumbled upon it because I was like, I need to, like, I was desperately seeking out Leadership books, leadership material, and it's not that I didn't have people in yeah. my command that I trusted that I could talk to, because there was a few, you know, um, that I could look to for advice. But I got—I was kind of looking also for more of like a professional, right, type. I think type guidance.
1: The way that I express it is competence. Like you are seeking leadership competence. You want to understand the nuts and bolts. How does it work? What are the mechanisms I can use to to be better, do better, take the best care of my people I possibly can. And
0: exactly.
1: there's not, there is n- and when I, like I, I've started like beating the drum for this, this phrase I've adopted of leadership and competence, which I totally stole from a book called the Peter principle. And I highly recommend everyone read it. It's, it's kind of comedic, but also not, it was written by like a, I think he's a, I don't remember if he's a psychologist or what, it, what his actual profession was, but um, he did a really interesting book in how hierarchies work. And it's just. The, the incompetence I see in leadership, and when I say it, I don't mean it as like any kind of an insult. There are a ton of amazing people in the military, and I'm sure at, at every command, you can go find good people that are in those positions that will e- even like desperately want to help you, but they don't have the tools. They've never been given the tools to do it correctly. And so what you run into is a lot of just like the end users of their leadership because they get promoted to leadership positions that they're not equipped or ready for god my nose is like i'm sorry i'm super cancer nose it gets itchy randomly and then i got like schwacked in the face at jujitsu the other day so it's sore so i can't even like itch it properly because i feel like i got punched in the face um the leadership competence that we see it like the end users of that leadership get extremely frustrated and pissed off and rightfully so because whether or not it's intended that way. And the vast majority of the time in my experience, it's not intended negatively. It's just, it's inept in in, in, incompetent attempts at, at helping people without having the tools, the sailors on the receiving end, take it as you're not a good person. You're out to get me. You're a terrible leader, which I mean, that one is almost objectively true. Like it's, it's misunderstood a lot of the times in my in my opinion and, and and they don't even know their' like how to communicate what's going on there because and I've had chiefs in the Chiefs mess facing their hands just exact like just like melting down because they want to help their divisions, but they don't know how. like they're good people and they want to do a good job and take care of the people and they genuinely care about them. But they can't get through to him. They can't get him to trust him. They can't get them to be receptive to any type of communication. They don't trust their chief. They don't believe he's out like about their best interest. And when you talk to those sailors, which I used to do all the time because I was curious, I'd go up to those those the kids in those divisions and be like, hey, what is going on? Like, and they would explain it to me. And it's but they were he's an adversary like that chief is terrible we don't trust him and and he did some brain dead things don't get me wrong but it's like it it was incompetence it wasn't like malicious like he wasn't doing it because he's evil and it's like there's probably like 0.01 percent of people that can end up in that position that actually are evil like i've heard those (laughs) stories too but uh, across the board generally what you're dealing with is people who genuinely want to do a good job and they want to help Um, and there's all kinds of other components of how, like how, when you're in those positions, you get overwhelmed with not like a large component of it is that unrecognized incompetence. Like the job is way harder than it should be because you have no idea what you're doing. And because it's not your fault entirely, it's like 90% on the institution in in the way I look at it, because they never trained and qualified you for the position that they elevated you to. And that's negligent.
0: It's kind of like that, that fighter fight. Fight or flight response, right? It's like either you're gonna find yourself in this position that you've never been prepared for, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're gonna fight through it, and you know, mm-hmm. get the tools and the resources and seek out the help that you need on your own, or you're just gonna take the flight response and right. run away with it and just try to keep your head above water or and do what you can. Or right? Freeze, I just, right? I
1: just got. Let me grab it really quick because it just happens to be sitting here. I just finished listening to it, but I got the book itself too. It's called The Tools. It's um, there's a really cool documentary uh about this therapist his name is phil stutz and then the book he wrote with a guy named barry michaels but the the thing on netflix is called stutz it's s-t-u-t-z
0: yeah that's really what amazing. i thought of when he said that yep
1: yep it's a documentary jonah hill was it, that was jonah hill's therapist right so he did a documentary with it where he shared all these tools because he's like i've never i've been in therapy for a long time i've never experienced anything like this before and it really really helped me and Andy, uh phil stutz has um uh parkinson's and a bunch of others he's pretty old so like he wanted to like get the ideas out there but then i found that he had books as well um and the ideas he has are incredible but one of the ones he i just listened to the other day uh, as i was finishing the audiobook was he was talking about how people commonly freeze when they get like like scared intimidated have like high levels of social anxiety whatever and so, not like, and it's kind of like in that fight or flight vein, but they just freeze up. And so, like it, in in lieu of doing something, they just do nothing. And you see that happen a lot from leadership people because they're afraid to be the one that makes the wrong decision. So they just don't make decisions, and that's equally as as harmful um, for the end users at leadership. But then again, it's like this weird doom cycle of like these people get promoted to pass their level of competence and then they end up in a position where they don't even know what they're doing is wrong. Um, and what I was talking to that new electrician about earlier was like he told me that there was an episode where I kind of first told a story about when I was an LPO and I was I was freaking out I, like I didn't know what to do with my hands. And so I regressed to my lowest lo- lowest level of training, which was just nothing like what I saw happen to me. And I started mimicking that unconsciously like i didn't even realize i was doing it i was just screaming all the time and then one day i saw my whole division glaze over like at 30 seconds in and i was just i just stopped and looked at him like you guys aren't even listening to me like i I, this isn't working and i like walk. i just stopped walked out like they were all stunned because they're just like oh my god he's losing it you know like but like i just I'm like, this isn't working and I need to go reevaluate my whole life. Like, cause this is broken. And I, I had always told myself I would never do it. Cause I hated it when it happened to me and blah, blah, blah. So like talking like existential crisis. So I was like freaking out. Um, but yeah, you, you, You freeze and then you don't even, it's like you don't have the awareness to even know that you're doing it wrong. It's so bizarre. And then you, you're freezing and, or running away from your responsibilities. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like,
0: well, it's like a trial, right? And it's, it's crazy because the end users, right. They get hurt as you mm -hmm. try new things and it's not the right way. Well, people, Mm -hmm. people are on the other end of that. So it's kind of like the, the, the terrible part of it too and not all leaders are bad right but right. and some of us do figure it out some of us I do say, seek out extra help
1: yeah i don't think bad's the right word because it implies evil like I incompetent think you're right incompetent is is i try to stick with that because it's like it's not your it's not their fault like it really isn't like i i mean if you make it to master chief you've never cracked a book okay we've you know we've got a personal accountability conversation to have but like it, it, as a new chief or like an LPO, uh, like I don't expect you to. And then they're they're getting validated by promotions and awards and positions along as they go. So then it's like they transition from like this confusion and um, and just not knowing to oh well I must be doing it right, you know. And then they like there are a lot of like chiefs that are at the end of a career or like i I would say probably like senior chiefs master chiefs that get to an end of a career and think that they're like these leadership scholars just because they did a 20-year career in the military and it's like actually like you should really study more because if you did like and it's not like there's not those people too like i'm not the only person that has studied the stuff and that like goes down the rabbit hole like there's plenty Yeah, of many
0: people. of your guests do and yeah, you yeah, provide extremely valuable sure. content for people like myself and other you know lpos and first classes mm-hmm. who are looking for training resources and mentorship um to get that so that's awesome
1: so, yeah um you want to talk about the mental health part (laughs) since this is a a mental health
0: podcast? No, yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, so you talk and advocate and you know a lot about leadership and you have a lot of experience with leadership or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that you can provide a really good perspective on how leadership, good or incompetent, right, can impact a sailor. Or a service member's career, like mm-hmm. how explain how much of an influence and an impact that they that leadership really does have.
1: Yeah, it's it's another unrecognized, um, like, I'm trying to think of the best word for it. Like, it's another unrecognized problem that we have, where I think it, the lion's share of what we And I mean, we like as an organization, like the military evaluate to be acute mental health issues. So like, I'm not a mental health professional, but the mental health professionals that are diagnosing them and tracking them and whatever, right? Like I've been all up in those studies about like the suicide statistics and the the mental health issues and all that kind of stuff. It's, I don't think there's a recognition of like, okay, we have this spike in, in suicides. We have this spike in acute mental health issues. So they're like, okay, well, we got to we got to do something about this. Let's increase access to resources. Let's battle against the stigma of accessing mental health care. Let's make it okay um, for you to to seek it out Um, or like alternative methods, even like the chaplain and everything else. But what they don't do is like which I, I think is insane because so often I've sat in critiques where something goes wrong during a procedure on a nuclear submarine and they're They're in the in the documentation for the critique, they're looking for like root cause analysis. Like, yeah, okay, this went wrong, but what really happened like what caused it to go wrong? And then you trace it back all the way to the beginning and you're like, okay, that's the thing we need to fix, so that this can't we can't even get to this point, let alone have all the, the other three failures that allowed us to get to this point or whatever. So what I don't think that's happening. I don't think people are at the at in the positions to really affect institutional change. Even recognize that leadership and competence is in, in and this is again in my analysis um the biggest problem we have i think if you if we if we went after solving leadership development and education and just like um trying to to like start a life cycle and then breed out leadership and competence to the maximum extent possible, it'll never go away right It's not like we're going to be perfect, but we could do a hell of a lot better than we're doing. And just, it's one of those like you just, it's, you gotta actively work on it constantly. It, like, because you know, the- I
0: just thought of something Um mm. like the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, yeah. they all have, you know, institutionalized leadership schools. And I they had sure a conversation, do. yeah, with an Air Force E-6 because I work at yeah. a joint environment just the other day. And he was talking to me about all these leadership principles and all this mm-hmm. stuff that he learned as an E-4. And I was like, wow, Airman, that's a really- Airman
1: leader program.
0: Yeah. I was like, that's really awesome. And so I'd almost, I'd really be curious. I mean, there's also, you know, other factors like the Navy's mm-hmm. out to sea and, you know, based yeah, off the you know. of different branches, we're responsible for doing th- different things. But yeah. I'd be curious to, to line up like the mental health statistics along with the leadership and see if there's any correlation amongst the branches there. And
1: you would have to you would have to evaluate how good of a job the Air Force is doing with the Airman Leader program as well. Because I bet you if you went and talked to a lot of Air Force NCOs, they'd probably tell you it's not that great. Um, It's a hell of a lot better than nothing. (laughs) But again, it's like and it and it probably is like maybe it maybe it's preventing 10% of the problems that we have. Maybe it's preventing 15 or 20 that's a huge deal and and that doesn't mean that the nco's that go through it are going to like provide positive feedback like they might think it still sucks and need, they could do way better and I, I don't know i i i have no visibility on that at all yeah. um but like the as far the the excuses that we get from leadership on why we don't have it i think are just garbage because the army deploys plenty and the army has nco academies at every like the major installations, they have like a home training installation for each MOS, which is like our rating specialties or whatever. Um, and so like I was, when I was an instructor at the a school, we were on the, uh, logistics and ordnance base, and they had an NCO academy there. My friend Yada taught there. Like I, I, it was, they had a brick and mortar, um, moose, hush child. I'm doing something. Um, they had a brick and mortar at NCO Academy and there were requirements to go there. Like, and not, not like prereq requirements, even though I'm sure those are real, but like, like you had to go there at certain points in your career. Um, and I don't know exactly when or what their metrics are, but it was like linked to promotion. Like you had to do uh, as you progress, you had to do a certain level of leadership development and education because of course you do. Um, and here we are. Like you know, what I mean, like I was just talking earlier about how we deleted PSDs and just figure it out, nerds. And it's just like that's another example of like a huge stress stressor that is a a catastrophic failure in leadership. That I mean, that your acute mental health issues. Like one of the things I freaked out about about the Mick AMA was there was a, a sailor that had gotten out. I believe they were retired. They were retired. Somehow it sounded like medical, but I don't, I'm not positive, but they yeah, put it in he the thing. Said he
0: was homeless. He said he was homeless.
1: And their first response was like, let us know if we can help you get your retirement orders that are, yeah, are did no you get longer your orders." like, how about, can he get an apartment? Like maybe let's focus on a roof and like somewhere to sleep. And I don't, he didn't, he, they, he didn't, uh, expound on whether or not he had solved those issues, but like, good God, your first concern is let me get you this point, this piece of superfluous admin. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think that leadership and competence leads to, uh, just immeasurable stress on j- the end users of that leadership, which is E6 and below, you know, like, and, and it's not to say like, again, and we can get into it, uh, later when we get to my seat of triumph, I'm so excited, um. <laughs> The when we get to that part, we can get to to like my experience, um, but at the higher levels, it happens too, because they again, these leaders, just like the the junior sailors, are under this incredible burden, not just from incompetent leadership, but from like just what the stuff that's that's static, like the stuff that is just part of what we do here that's already hard and stressful, right? Like our mission requirements are already hard and stressful. Our op tempos are are uh like you guys go into a basement and do all this crazy creepy things you can't talk about with anybody and like like there's all this wild stuff that happens that is already difficult and stressful and provides me with anxiety and insomnia and all these other things so i already am doing this like job that is unfathomable to most civilians so you already have like this really abnormal level of stress um and then we like oh we're like oh wait we're not done (laughs) Hold my beer, and they like leadership incompetence piles on, and and it's just exponential. And then all of these things that like they're burdened, like we come out with all these administrative requirements and all these programs, and the good idea fairy and whoever, wherever these NAV admins are coming from, just dropping all these new and exciting requirements and programs and stupidity on you to the point where it's like you don't have time to do anything, like except be stressed out and like get and, not and enough you know sleep. What?
0: You know what's crazy is that, like, for example, you know, I work my job, right? I say I, but I'm, I'm talking about your typical E3, E4, yeah. E5, right? You, you're doing your job. You're dealing with the day-to-day stresses. You know, you want to go home for the day. But like you mm-hmm. said, now we have all these other requirements that we have to get through, like training or mm-hmm. updating in-fast or... Yeah. My you know, favorite. going to watch or just doing yeah. all these other things. And so you have the mm-hmm. leader, right? Your first line leader. And I always um, put that position on the LPO to kind of mm-hmm. have your back and make sure that you're okay and taken care of. But a lot right. of the LPOs don't, they either don't feel empowered or they don't think that the right thing to do is to put it off and save it, right? They think the mm-hmm. right thing to do is- Get it all done today, yeah. Yeah, and- <laughs> they it's don't the realize yeah, yeah they don't realize 100%. that the sailor is suffering because of it and right. so like i just had a conversation um with another first class the other day about that and i had to tell him like look at the end of the day like we have to we have to prioritize and yeah. sailors Sailors' pay, sailors' career, and sailors' safety are the three things that should be prioritized. Not right. in training, not their in fast that can wait another day. Well, we cannot.
1: There's a push and pull with with mission requirements because, like, when you say training, I think you're talking about like uh, no, I'm NKOs talking about like a, a
0: GMT, I'm right? Like, gar- like
1: stuff that doesn't really matter that much, exactly. Um, but yeah, I like. And I also to, to your point a second ago, like I think a lot of times the LPOs in those positions do know that they shouldn't. Like this isn't the right answer necessarily. But like I, as a senior chief department chief on a submarine, I, I was in positions where I'm like, this isn't what we need to be doing right now. And I've even been in meetings where like the entire chief's mess is like telling the the triad, like, don't do this. Like like we we were in a place where like the crew hadn't had any sleep we had been drilling and killing and getting ready for an inspection and then oh my god the security drill requirement hadn't been met and so like we're just like don't this can wait or waive it or whatever like this the crew was like run ragged they all needed sleep including the chiefs and we're just like this is dangerous like we're trying to operate the submarine safely which is always trying to kill us like all the time so we need to be alert and like prepared to do that but on top of that, you're demanding all these other things of us. And it's like, to be clear, I was on a ballistic missile submarine whose real mission is like it's nuclear deterrence, which nuclear deterrence manifests itself as punching holes in the ocean going five knots to nowhere for long periods of time, just in case World War three breaks out. So do we really need to do all these drills all week, every week for the entire time we're out? Like, So there's a a lot of leeway, but it's like these commanding officers are terrified of complacency and they're terrified of any reportable metrics slipping because they want to be full bird captains when they grow up and and potentially flag officers. So it's like you you just get this weird, I don't know, like um, inability to like let things fall off the plate. Like some stuff's not important when you're operating a nuclear submarine at sea. It's just not
0: like and that's why try- we have to get on the same page with our mm-hmm. priorities and right. in your case in that example is the safety of your crew yeah. like that is way more important than a check in the box this mm-hmm. metric like
1: but I those don't they don't a lot and and some of this is probably unique to submarines and and but like some of it's not where they're more worried about what upper echelon commanders are going to think or what they're going to say and they're they're Email that they send, or the nasty gram they get, than they are about sailor safety and sailor quality of life. And they probably
0: and, don't even see it like that. To be honest, they don't. They probably not, don't. Yeah, it's not. On I don't think that's
1: how they're measuring it at all. Mm-hmm. I just think that they get caught up and and like they're like no, we have to do this. It's too important. Oh my god, we have, yeah. And they just get tunnel vision, and they're they're not recognizing the um, the strain it's having on those the people that are responsible with actually making the thing happen. But then also. A lot of times you get people that just kind of forget what it's like or chalk it up to, oh, yeah, it was hard when I was junior too. Shut up. You know, like, it, and okay, yeah, it was hard when I was a junior sailor. It was like mind bendingly difficult, but also there was a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on today that was not going on in 2002. Like, I was, when I was on a submarine as a second class, all I did was wake up, stand 12 hours of Galley Watch Captain. Get off, watch, go work out like I was in prison, eat, go back to sleep. Like, that's that my routine. It was like prison. Like, But I didn't have collateral duties. I didn't have any other demands on my time. It was hard enough to do what I was doing. But, I mean, I was getting... Like especially once I was like qualified because like you get in your submarine dolphins is a thing like you're not sleeping more than like five hours six hours if you don't have your fish but like once I was completely like qualified senior rate blah 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 and I'm like a, a senior second class that's qualified all the things I need to be yeah everybody just left me alone they're like yeah as long as lunch is good nobody's got anything to say to you like my chief would like occasionally need some like paperwork done or whatever but like yeah I wasn't I wasn't charged with doing anything other than my primary duty. That's not real anymore. You've got everybody's got something extra to do. Even on my last boat, as a department chief, like every one of my junior guys had some, some even if it was like a little thing, just so I could be like, "Hey, you're helping," you know. Like everybody had something extra outside of their primary duty, big, small, multiple things. And then you've got all the administrative demands, like you were mentioning of NFAST and all the stupid GMTs and all that. The only time I went to GMT is when they called us all the domestics to talk about something, but that was it. There was no NKOs. There was none of that crap. And so like there are demands, whether, whether you want to like act like they're as hard as what you did back in the day or not. It's like there are a tremendous demands on sailors that exist now that weren't there when I was that guy. And the demands of my job have not changed at all. Like, it's just as difficult to be a, a submarine galley watch captain now as it was in 2002. But now you also have to do all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing it. I, and I think you're seeing it reflected in retention. They see, think you're seeing it reflected in recruiting. And I think you're seeing it reflected in acute mental health issues. Like,
0: and I think that it is a thing. And I think that if our, if our first line leaders, you know, your mm. LPOs, your chiefs, your senior chiefs, they have this access to the E one through the E five. It's like that's their gatekeeper almost. Like you're their leader. You're supposed to yeah. shield them and protect them mm-hmm. from all things that that could cause you know right. issues to their career, to their health. And when we're not doing that, um, then it spirals and. Mm-hmm. And it it makes the sailor feel like you don't care about them or you don't have their best interest at heart. And, and I don't think that that people, that leaders, right, they're they're not mm-hmm. doing it on purpose. So what would you say to, you know, the E6, the E7, the E8 that may find themselves in a position, you know, where they're trying to just meet the mark, but they don't know how to navigate taking care of their sailors at the same time?
1: Get hot start learning like you just you you look at it like uh, the submarine community is very good at training and qualifying people to do what they're supposed to do strategically tactically to operate the submarine and get the mission done so it still baffles me to this day that they don't take leadership development seriously at least in my community because we're so hyper focused on just technical competence and proficiency and all those things right so you look at it like that you you are at a loss when you're in these positions because you're not trained and qualified to do what you're being asked to do. You are promoted based on erroneous criteria. I'm looking at you as a, as a, um, can I say your rate? Is that okay? Or mm-hmm. do you want me mm-hmm. to not? Okay. No, so as a yeah. CT, well, I think I did already. God um, should have asked, <laughs> but so like you as a CT doing what you do, right? I'm going to promote you to chief based on what exactly your technical competence, Maybe I got to observe you in an LPO role of some of some form, right? Every every community has different requirements for what you need to have. Like maybe you were a shore LPO in in your case, that's probably almost entirely relevant. Um, But like, there is a lot of communities where it's like there is exceptions where maybe you don't need to be an LPO. Maybe you can do this instead. So maybe you got a little bit of a leadership role as an LPO for at least enough time to get it on eval, and then you are promoted to chief. The lion's share of what we use to promote people to leadership positions is evaluating technical competence and an individual's ability to excel in whatever role, like a collateral duty or getting a degree or getting personal awards or doing well on the the PRT or whatever, right? It's all individual metrics and I'm measuring you on your ability to do a thing, right? And, And Hopefully, you've been in a leadership position where I've at least been able to get a small snapshot of you in a leadership position. And then we can get into truth and reporting and how garbage the eval system is and reporting that to somebody like me when I'm at a selection board. So the representation I get is false as well. So I'm I'm promoting you based on erroneous criteria to start, right? Where you're not getting leadership development and education. You're not... Put in roles where I can, eval- I can like robustly evaluate your ability and make sure that not only do you know this stuff, but you're able to actually do it in real life. And then promoting you to a position like chief. I'm promoting you based on, and they say this at the selection board in the briefing rooms. They're like, we're selecting for potential to be a chief petty officer. Like, you're analyzing all these documents and you're selecting on their potential to do this job well. So, I'm not selecting on documented performance in leadership positions. I'm selecting on I'm selecting the people that I think have the best potential to not fail like and that's insane and so for those people, it's like get out there and get after it like get at, like access all of the platforms and the resources that exist, including mine and like I was a big jocko guy, like I read all the, the mm-hmm. extreme ownership and dichotomy of leadership and and mm-hmm. listened to his podcast and that it evolved from there but but extreme ownership—I mean, that was that spoke to me because that's how I viewed it. And but it was a lot of people pushed back against my uh, my way of doing things in real life. And, but then when I read that book, it was extremely validating. Of like, I'm not wrong. Like I like I'll, you're wrong, damn it! Like and, oh and my I can meet you. Good.
0: That's so crazy that, that you said it was validating, right? Because yeah. every single day I, I find myself at work or uh, not, I mean, not every day, but just, I find myself in these positions where mm-hmm. I'm like, I read this, I studied mm-hmm. this, this is mm-hmm. what this book had told me. It makes and sense And everybody's to me. treating
1: you like you're crazy.
0: <laughs> oh, not, not just <laughs> not wrong, treating me or, like or I'm crazy. Yeah. Or yeah. just not like like why aren't we doing it this way and it's like well right. because we've always done it this way and i'm like oh okay well am i wrong for thinking that that was the right way you're, to do it so you're
1: not wrong there there is yeah. there is a a tremendous amount of pride tied up in the identity that people build around being chief petty officers and i think that's something that needs to be wired into the way that we build chiefs is this isn't your identity this is a thing that you do right so like you need to be okay with admitting that you're wrong and if if a, a chief who is who has their identity conflated with the idea of being a chief, it's like in order for them to admit that they're doing it wrong, they need to burn their entire identity to the ground. That's not a small ask, right? But if you can successfully separate your identity as a person from this job that you do, and, and like you're allowed to be passionate about it, like you're allowed to be... Like, I, there's a significant part of who I am that was heavily influenced by being, I mean, look around the room, like heavily influenced by being a chief, right? And I know the listeners won't be able to see it, but yeah, seen they it can't before, see, right? but he
0: has all his like chief yeah. paraphernalia in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: a collector. I'm a historian. <laughs> I'm all kind of like a, like a, a hobbyist historian, but like I collect, I have chief combo cover anchors over here. I have a case full of like historical submarine dolphins over here. I have all the stuff. It's like a museum in here. And it's very important to me. Like I identify quite a bit with being a chief, did a lot for me growth wise, maturity wise. Like I learned a ton, but it's not who I am. It's what I did. And as soon as I was out of the Navy, like I had somebody ask me if I was struggling with um, like the transition. And I was like, not really. No. Um, and, and I think that's like, that's the primary reason is I, I was, and I don't even know why. I think it was because when I saw people whose whole identity, like the meme, like whose whole identity is being a chief and like, can't go out in public without like a chief shirt on or like a master chief hat on or whatever. I, I didn't like it. I, it grossed me out and I'm like, this isn't who I am. I'm way more than this. And I think it's okay. And I, and I think that like, I I had this moment, uh, in camp. There's, we used to do this thing called service week. I don't think it's been real for a long time, but there was a week where you would get detailed to all these different things. It was like FSA and if And some quite literally for me, because they were like, oh, you're a cook. You're going to go work at the galley. But they also had people like at the drill hall, helping the RDCs with uh, all the marching and drill stuff. And then they had some people over at some other place helping them with, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like there's a bunch of different like places you could go um i think there was like a laundry place it was just like you were effectively an fsa um and i was i I was one of the they called swabbies at the galley so like i had a paper hat on and uh like you there's different positions and i became a line captain and then like we were just like we didn't have a lot of oversight it was really strange because back to like in boot camp like the whole time like you you could never escape an rdc but then during service week i mean there were there were people around that were supposed to be supervising us, but they, I mean, weren't doing a great job. And the RDCs were off doing RDC things. They were just march us to our place. My
0: division went to McDonald's when we were (laughs) in camp. So of course
1: you did. (laughs) Um, and probably got an hour of phone time every day and all, no, I'm just playing. Um, but the, the, what happened, the story is, so like we were just doing like, we didn't have a lot of supervision or guidance. We showed up, um, somehow i became a line captain which is like the king of the fsas think of it like that so like and then I, when you were on your like last few days there was like fresh people coming in and so i'm teaching them how to do what i was doing high five and on like a turnover and leaving so the the way they would do it they you would write something on you would write your position on your little white fsa hat every day um and so we would write line captain. And then when it was your last few days, you'd write line captain and then in parentheses, you'd write retired, like, cause you were on your right at the door. And so it was just a thing. Everyone was doing it. So I just did, I just did what everyone else was doing. Cause I didn't know, like I was just trying to conform, um, which is hilarious because what I got yelled at for, I just got face punched by an RDC, like, like was my hat off my head. What the hell is this recruit? Uh, and he goes, are you an individual? And I'm like, yes. And he's just lost his mind. Because <laughs> I, I I didn't know. I'm like, am I an individual? I think I'm an individual. Yeah, like I was terrified. And so like I, I said, yes. And he just launched into this tirade about how I'm not an individual. I'm like part of the, you know, like I'm a sailor in the Navy. Like we're all the same. Like he, it was basically like that break him down and build him back up concept. I don't, I don't think that that's healthy. And I don't think that it's, the way to go and i mean you maybe in boot camp like but as soon as they're out of initial session training we should be having a conversation about how this is not who you are this is just what you do albeit it's a, a an important thing and that um, you have to take it very seriously and blah 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 like i don't think it's a a healthy thing to get your identity conflated with the job that you do and that happens a lot and so what's really difficult for these chiefs is to have somebody tell them even even me like being me right it's a different thing for you to tell a chief that they're broken i like i'm a master chief like i retired I, a master I
0: chief i don't do that <laughs> i no i
1: know i'm just saying like i'm a bit of an authority on the topic and then yes. even like i like i look to people like paul you kingsbury lived he's it a, he's a, right yes. but he, uh, paul Kingsbury is a retired fleet master chief he's he's like objectively and unarguably an authority and on all things he has published
0: books about yeah. that yeah right
1: and he will tell you that there's a ton of things wrong and that people need to like lean into this leadership development education. Blah, i blah. listened
0: he, to his episode on your podcast. I found that yeah. very useful. Yeah.
1: He's a great dude. He's going to be on again soon, but he's, he, and he's very passionate about this stuff. And so it's, it's interesting to me because he seems like a bit of an anomaly as far as like when he got to that position, he was being kind of vocal about some of the stuff and he got a lot of pushback for it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to admit that, you're in, in, you're incompetent when it comes to the, the thing you're charged with doing, especially when you've been promoted and validated so many times. So, but the ones that are actively seeking it of which I find there are many. Um, and hopefully there are some that are those types of people that hear me and slowly convert to the idea of like, okay, maybe I have some things to learn. Right. And it's, it's the, the answer is start training and qualifying yourself. Like it's not what I would dream up as an answer in a perfect world, but you can do a hell of a lot worse by just sitting there like a bump on a log, like get in these books, get in these podcasts, get in these YouTube videos, get in all the, all the things. And I mean, even like, so Andrew that used to do the foundations episodes and me, like I was just getting a bachelor's degree on my way out of the military for a thing to put on my resume. And I got an organizational leadership one. And so did Andrew. Andrew, I think has a master's degree. And so it's like, go study it for like, for real, like there's schools that offer this stuff that it's all online and you're getting in these leadership books and studying military history and learning all these lessons and all these different And there's a certain component of it that like, I, I kind of eye roll when you get into like the John Maxwell leadership stuff, like the, the motivational quotes and affirmations and little like the, the inverse quotes, it's, uh, where they're like, um, And I I I really need to get an example burned into my brain for when I'm I'm, uh, criticizing this stuff. But they're like you know the quotes. It's like a like a cheeky leadership quote that somebody puts on a meme, and it's just a sentence that's like the mirror image of it. Oh, it's it's not this. It's it's the backwards of this that sounds better. And it's like I could just blow a thousand holes in it in five seconds. But people are always they're trying to like market it instead of actually educate and it's like you can't educate with uh and i if you scroll back on my instagram i was doing some stuff like that just to try to drive engagement on instagram and spread the word and i just i could i did it for a little while and then it made me throw up in my mouth too many times and i stopped but it's it's even that like i'm not a giant fan of john Maxwell stuff. But it's a lot better than doing nothing. It's not like he's wildly off base. Um, some of the Simon Simon Sinek stuff, I think, is like he's not wrong about much. I also have a hard time listening to him because like, what have you ever done? Like besides write books and talk about like great. I mean, he's great at the thing that he's doing, but I have a, I just have this hard time. Like if Jocko speaks, I'm going to listen. And is that fair? I don't know. But, like, does Simon Sinek have an education in this? Is he, like, a PhD in some kind of, like, I don't know, like, leadership science or, like, behavioral something or, like, psychology or whatever? As um, far as I can tell, he's just a dude that talks about leadership stuff. And it's like, okay. like, But he his stuff isn't bad. Like, it's just not my favorite. Um, and that's just a personal me thing where I, I have a hard time accepting, I I always quote Mark Wahlberg because he's like, I don't take fitness advice from anybody that's not in better shape than me. And I'm just like, ah, that's a rule to live life by. I feel like, like, I'm just like, I'm not going to listen to you if I'm in like, why would I take fitness advice from you if you're not in better shape than me? It doesn't make any sense. Um, But anyway, yeah, it's, it's get out there and start training and qualifying yourself um, in lieu of there being the infrastructure that should be there um and that i think it is the organization's responsibility to provide but in lieu of it not being there just get to get to work like just do the same thing we do with everything and it it's tough but it's also like you can listen to me on your drive to work like you can listen to jocko while you're working out you can you know like there's so much you can consume uh passively while you're doing other things so it's not really adding much of a burden and i would argue that it's probably just gonna uh it's just gonna like add value and and there's times where i I even feel like scatterbrained because i think i I feel like i'm overwhelming myself with inputs because it's like i gotta fill every waking moment with an audiobook or a podcast or whatever and it's like sometimes i like recently in probably the last six months i've i've started to just be like i'm gonna drive in silence like i'm just it's like almost meditative like because I I already have a hard enough time focusing and like I I sleep poorly and I have all these other issues. So it's like I got enough working against me without adding to it by doing those things. And that's what happens is I start to feel like scatterbrained and distracted and I can't focus and I can't remember things. And um, so it's like find that balance, but also you can do a lot of this while you're doing other things. And I find that um, it works pretty well.
0: It's definitely a- you just sometimes you just gotta ask. You just gotta ask too. for help. You gotta ask where to go. That and too. And the answer is, you know, either talk to somebody that has the experience, listen to a podcast, read a book. But yeah, right.
1: It's and there. Interact, it's out there too. Interact like find mentors that aren't local. Find people like me that you can you can reach out to me and I'll send you an email. Do a podcast on your situation if it if it demands it based on like like because I it was I think it was. Was it you? that I did a podcast on a situation you were in, or was it someone else? No, I think it, I think
0: it was. Uh, I think it wasn't me.
1: <laughs> okay, it was Ariana. I think. Yeah, which her name's already out there, so I can say that out loud. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that offline because I was going to mention it before we started recording, but um, but yeah, the uh, I think you can. There's a lot of interaction that can happen that people like. N- people don't go out of their way enough to go find for like, for lack of a better description, like their tribe, right? Like there's, there are people out there that can help you. You just got to go find them. And they're not as far off and rare as you think. They just might not be like within arm's reach inside your shop or your command, right? But they're there. I promise you they're there. Um, Which is
0: why like platforms like this is mm -hmm. awesome because you're getting to hear a bunch of different people's perspective and their willingness to provide support.
1: Right,
0: 100%. Well, um, so to bring it back towards like mental health and leadership, I will say I want to share a story about a recent interaction that I had with a sailor. So I didn't know the sailor. I actually met him or her on a Reddit post. And Mm. the Reddit post was essentially like a cry out for help Mm. Um and there's a lot of those on yeah, Reddit. Yeah, really. They're um, really are. but but this one really was interesting to me because he essentially he or she right was essentially saying, you know, I know that I need help. I I mm. really need help, but I'm scared that this is gonna ruin my career. Like I'm really love being in the Navy mm. and. I'm worried that if I seek care that, you know, they're going to cancel my orders or they'll kick me out or I won't be eligible for yeah. these special programs that I want to go into. And so I saw that and I, I you know, hit that person up directly mm-hmm. and I said, Hey, you know, what's going on? Like as somebody who has been in the Navy for over 11 years and has experience with mental health mm-hmm. and, you know, these special communities, like, like what's going on? So he or she told me that they just reenlisted, but and then they love being in the Navy, and that the problems that they were having um, were outside of the Navy. Like it's just okay. stuff that they experienced beforehand. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I was like, well, you're in the Navy now, and the Navy has resources to help you get through this, and you won't be punished um, for seeking that help. Like that's that's what they're there well, for. So that. It- you shouldn't
1: be yeah you You shouldn't be and even if you are who like
0: who cares yeah
1: Yeah. and and the two people like i I, i'll let you finish but jeff bayless and jason thompson are my two Mm -hmm. favorite examples for that because like like in jeff's case exact same situation like he had a bunch of pre-service trauma that was never addressed and he tried to distract himself by throwing himself into work and it it destroyed him and it destroyed a marriage and then it effectively destroyed his career um because he was a limited duty officer like he promoted just crazy fast made chief in like six years and they got picked up for ldo in like eight and then he's you know driving an aircraft carrier in 10 and he's about to make full lieutenant which is where you're like vested as a, an ldo and, and they can't revert you and he gets a he gets an argument with his wife and he's been drinking. Jumps in his truck, leaves, gets in an accident, gets a DUI, career over. Right? They revert him back to chief. They let him retire. So he retires as a chief and goes on to have like he's he's having a very successful civilian career working with the Navy. Like um, I forget where, and I don't know that I would even want to put it out there, but um, he works with sailors every day and gets paid well to do it because he's an expert on a whole lot of like BM docking officer things. But then. He has a podcast. He goes around and does talks and shares his experience and has had countless sailors walk up to him and tell them how they they saved his life, you know, like they saved their life, you know, and and Jason, his experience was, was wild where he went from rate to rate to rate. Um, he was institutionalized at one point because of his trauma. And uh, when he came out the other end, like there was a point at which where they said, yeah, like w- we... Uh, are not gonna give you a security clearance right now, but we're gonna retain you. And he ended up as a Bosa's mate chief as well and just sailed off in the sunset. He's living his best life in, in Michigan now, which exactly. is where I'm exactly. Yeah,
0: those like, are both like really good success stories. And yeah. it, it was heartbreaking, right? For the sailor right. to feel that way. And, and mm. my first question outside of, you know, what's going on was, you know, did you talk to your LPO? Like, did you talk mm. to your chief? Like, do you have somebody that's there yeah. to support you at your command? And mm. why why don't you feel comfortable talking to them? And mm. it, in, in his or her case, it was because he was scared that if he brought it up to his leadership, that it was, they it was gonna, they might retaliate and try to get him kicked out. And I just, it could be because he was just not educated enough. Yeah. But I wish that he felt comfortable to go to at least his LPO or that, you know, wherever he was at the stigma of him getting in trouble for seeking mental health care could have been removed because I just hate like, then, then, you know, he got even more real with me, he or she, as the conversation went on, and mm-hmm. they were just like, you know, if I don't get help soon, then I'm scared that I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. And I said, you know, you need to talk to your PCM, and mm-hmm. if it's really bad, you can go to the ER, and if you don't want to do that because you just refuse, like, at least reach out to Military OneSource and, mm-hmm. and see First if there's a civilian a provider speaker, that like, you can- yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I gave him a, a list of resources that he or she Good. could use, and I hope that it helped. But I just it just hurt my heart that he yeah. was so scared to seek yeah. care and, and that he didn't have the support that he should have had.
1: Yeah, and some of that's probably an irrational fear, um, some of it may be leadership incompetence installing a fear that it's not as it's not as real as they think like yeah if you brought it to some incompetent leadership would they push back maybe they eye roll maybe they judge you maybe they even like give you a hard time about it um but there, you're not gonna get run out of the navy as as a punishment for seeking mental health care that's that's like it's such a hot it's like saying you're gonna get run out of the navy for sexual assault like being a victim of sexual assault it's like they're, they're That's just not real anymore. It's going to get elevated to a point that like, it, I mean, I can tell you just walking the deck plates as a, as a chief on the boat, like not even as the, as the guy wearing the cookie on a submarine. If I had heard some shit like that, I would have ate all those people's faces and walked that kid up to mental health. And this is pre me getting my own mental health care. Like that's not, you don't get to play around with that. You don't get to like get a vote at all. You're not a mental health professional. You don't know if this is real or not. And you're not qualified to make that judgment uh, regardless. So it's like you, when that stuff comes up, you just go right to the flow chart of like, okay, what's step one? We're going to get you to your PCM, get you a referral. If it's emergent, we'll go to the emergency room or we'll do something else. And you just go into that mode. Like you start treating it like someone's physically injured. Because it's exactly. like, if they're not now, they're going to be if you don't deal with this properly and you, you shirk the responsibility that is yours to go find this person to help. Yes. So that's what what kills me about it is that uh, I, I fear that this situation is more like a perception of a phantom threat where it's like worst case scenario and i know it's it's really difficult to deal with especially at the junior levels when you're still struggling with sense of belonging to the organization when people start ostracizing you and treating you like you're weak for seeking out this help it's really hard to deal with but when you when you do that and it's and again like i don't even it's probably not even realistic to put this on a person in that position but it's like when you get on the other side of it which i know it's difficult to see when you're in it um you're just, it's, everything's infinitely better. Like I, the fact that I ended up the way I ended up, like I'm an infinitely better person. I'm healthier. I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire, lo- entire life. And in, in, like, as far back as I can remember having like spent 18 months with a psychologist and I was on medication for a while for like severe anxiety and like it, it helped in in ways I don't even like know how to quantify and I'm an infinitely better person because of it which is the the lessons to be pulled from like Jason and Jeff is like their situations were like so like they were so insane and it would have been so easy for them to give up like it would have been so easy for them to become statistics but they didn't and now they're candidly sharing their stories and advocating for this stuff and it blows my mind every time I hear him talk about it like because it breaks my heart. Like, like you were saying, like it breaks my heart to hear that kids are, are talking about like, like giving up just be. And it's like, at the end of the day, this is a job that you're doing. And if, if you're in such me- extremis that you can't do that job, walking away is an option. Like I, I got on a Reddit thread the other day. I mean, probably about a week ago. And I was trying to, articulate it diplomatically. But I mean, what I wanted to say was just leave, go home, deal with the consequences, but at least you're alive and you can get access to mental health care. Like it, at the end of the day, like is it's not worth your life. It just isn't. I mean, yes, there are scenarios in the military when we're doing our mission where we consciously, while trying to mitigate as much risk as we possibly can, we, we risk our lives and it's a calculated risk and we understand that that's part of the mission and I could die. Like I understand that to be a, an objective reality of my career field, but it's, it's a risk that we take as part of the mission. I elected to do that going in. Everybody's doing it with me, uh, share diversity, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, this is a whole different thing. And it's, this is not what, this is not what the job is. Like you shouldn't be your life shouldn't be at risk when we're not doing the mission. Like you're like, you shouldn't, it's not, that's not what we're we're not. We're not losing people in peacetime. This doesn't make sense. So it's like when, when these situations present themselves, burn the whole thing to the ground if you have to, to get help, but get help. And, and, I mean, I, and I'm in the unique position to become a megaphone for some of these people, and I'm happy to do so. Like, cause There's been a couple situations where I've gotten involved and got my a couple of my IDC friends involved and called hospitals and said, hey, what are you doing with your life? And why does this person not have an appointment yet? And then the next day they have an appointment. Like, weird. And that was something I talked about recently on a podcast where it's like, You can fix more of this than you think as leaders if you just engage. And it's generally, especially for khaki wearing people, it's generally as simple as picking up the phone with your, like, what the F face on or tone of voice in this case. Like, all you got to do is call up and say, This sailor's been trying to get an appointment for weeks. What is going on? Or better, show up at that like mental health desk and just demand accountability
0: limit it to the khaki level because somebody like me I go hard for my sailors and I will yeah scream from the rooftop if I see something that's wrong and my sailors are being affected I will go to the right khaki if that's what you you should should done yeah you should
1: you absolutely should and a lot of times like what you'll find is if so like if if uh like you go in in that in that role, right? So, like, you walk into the hospital, into the mental health floor or whatever, and you're like, "I want to see somebody wearing khakis right now." And like, my sailor's been waiting, and they're an extremist, and they need an appointment right now. And don't tell me that you don't have time, and blah blah. And like, you're freaking out about it. You're gonna get a concerned chief coming out, going, "Hey, what's going on? Like, what are we doing?" And they're gonna find out about it, and it's gonna be some type of failure in the system or some type of thing that that chief can use their sphere of influence and power to just fix immediately. And it's like, that's why I keep telling people like it's been a thing recently where I'm just like, just engage just worst case scenario. They say no. And then you can elevate it and you can do all these other things. And you can, you can look at alternative mechanisms to get them to like plug the gap while you figure out why the hell they don't have an appointment and why there's such a backlog and everything else. But Not engaging isn't like it gets you nowhere, and it's like you just shrugging and saying, "Well, there if there's an eight week wait, there's an eight week wait." Like, no, unacceptable. Like, get get a different answer than that, or I'm going to lose my mind. Um, But yeah, there, and a lot of times it's as simple as engaging. It just is like,
0: and and for you know the junior service members or the junior uh, sailors, mm. you know. Don't be afraid to ask your LPO or your chief for help or tell them what's going on. Do not let fear be the cause of you not asking for help.
1: And if you get that pushback that you were afraid of, let's say worst case scenario that you were dreaming up as you had all that anxiety about approaching your, your LPO or chief, if it goes horribly off the rails, right? Okay. Well, they're not going to help you. That doesn't mean someone else won't help you. That doesn't mean you walking to an adjacent work center. Like a lot of people will like say that um, E five and below, like on a ship, right? Like they could probably very accurately, like if you had everybody do it, they would probably very accurately rank the chiefs in the in much the same way they're ranked by like the CMC and the command. So if you if you have that perception already. What's the worst that could happen if there's a chief that you think is like you've heard is great and their sailors love them and they advocate, take care of them, blah, blah, but you don't have a relationship with them. What's the worst thing that could happen by you approaching that chief?
0: They will help you. I One of of my favorite chiefs is that go to Mm -hmm. so many sailors outside of her Mm -hmm. division and department come to her because she's going to help them. She's going to
1: help. And that's the same thing with me when I was on the submarine. It was like. I was the one that was going to get you what you needed and get and advocate for you and get you the help. And I'm very like, I was very um, like institutional expertise focused. Like, not that I was bad at my job, but I was more focused on the ways that I can help sailors and meaning and it for it to be like meaningful and long lasting is institutionally like by having expertise in the programs that. Like they would go to admin for help with a pay issue and admin wouldn't even know what the hell they were talking about a lot of the times. And it's like, oh, well, jokes on you, nerds. I read the book. And so then we go to war. I
0: up, yeah, oh, the yeah. CPPA manual yep. and called That's, DFAS can, and done all this to. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can
1: read too. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, you, you, or like eval issues. I've submitted BCNRs on behalf of sailors to fix their records and get them paid money they were owed and all these things where, a whole bunch of other people had told them, no, that's not real. You can't do that. You're just, you're SOL. Like, you can't just deal with it. And it's like, no, I'm not going to just deal with it. Like, you need to get this sailor an answer or some type of adjudication for the issue that they have. And that doesn't just apply to mental health, it applies to everything. Like, it's unacceptable to me that a leader just lets things lie with, like, the, the I forget who I was talking to, but it was like the, uh, uh, uh Thing where I had a sailor screen for the White House, it got shut off. All it took was me calling and asking a question. That was it. And then everybody threw rose petals at my feet when she got selected to go to the White House. I'm like, why? I just did what I feel like everybody in my position is like duty bound to do. And it wasn't like I put a whole ton of bandwidth and effort into it. I just picked up the phone and called a master chief and said, Hey, what's going on here? And they told me, and I'm like, oh, I can fix that tomorrow. And we sent them an email with all the documentation they required and a couple of sign-offs by like the detailer and, and somebody else. And that was it. And it was turned back on. And then she got selected and she went. And it's like, that wasn't even a little difficult. Like all I did was talk to another chief and it, it really can be that simple. But my CMC was coming to me going like, most people would have just let that lie and taken the answer of your drop from selection from the people screening for the White House. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Like, why is that a thing anyone's willing to accept? Like if I, if I had called them, and they gave me a really great answer for why her her screening had got shut off and why it wasn't going to get turned back on, then at least I can tell her. And that was all she was asking for. It was like, I just don't understand what happened. They wouldn't tell me why. And I found out why, and it was the reasons were crap. And it was like simple, simple things that I could prove were not true, turned it right back on again. And then she got selected. So it's like, it's not difficult and it's not something that I feel like is above and beyond at all. Like that's just a basic ABC duties and responsibilities of a leader. Like that. I don't, I, and and so many people are willing to just sit there and and like, and, and I go back to like the freezing thing that we talked about earlier. And that's what it feels like. It's almost like in absence of knowing what to do, they just do nothing. And that is so wildly unacceptable to me. And it should be unacceptable, acceptable to everyone else. But I, I also don't know that they have the, recognition that that's even what's happening so
0: and if you encounter one of those (laughs) just go to the next person yeah and if and if they don't help you go to the next person
1: right there is someone that will help you and it's like they're like and and somewhat sometimes like i'm probably a a lot more than i'm even aware of it's like somebody like you is going to be the gateway to somebody like me and it's like, cause you know who, which chiefs are the ones to go to. And that, so you can be like, okay, go talk to this person, do this thing. Talk like, I'll help you like, and I'll hold your hand. We'll go into the office. Okay. Now like talk to this chief. And then now they have like, you're like the gateway to that relationship that they didn't have with that chief that will advocate
0: for right. and help. Them, right. And I'm that so happy to or, do it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And a ton of, a ton of people in your position are. So it's, it's like, you just got to go looking for it. and, and, like we were just talking about before like connecting with people via the forums that exist like Reddit there are a ton of just like advocate chiefs that on Reddit that will get after it for you and i've had yes. some of them on the podcast and then like for me like i've developed this whole other like this whole second network um in, in parallel to the end of my career and then even post career like i'm developing this just huge network of people that i have access to that i can help sailors by leveraging that I would have never had had I not done the podcast like I had my own network from my career and it was pretty it was pretty solid like I got some stuff done where I had just connected with these people all over the place but a lot of the time more often than not nowadays the connections I'm using to help people are people I've I've gotten to know from the podcast and uh, connecting with them through Reddit or through social media or through, they they emailed me when they found the podcast or whatever, or got recommended to me by somebody else. And I emailed them and said, Hey, come on. And then, you know, a lot of these people I consider like good friends now. And it's just like, yeah, it, it, you, there are so many ways to do it. And one of the mechanisms is, uh, and I think it's a pretty powerful one is like stuff like the forums, like Reddit or a Facebook group or whatever. Um, There's a lot of those out there with that have a lot of beneficial points of contact that you can uh, leverage if you, if you reach out, which, and that's the big thing is you got to be willing, whether it's behind a, a like a anonymous mechanism like Reddit or, or not like, willing to reach out like they're not going to call your if they're in a group called saving sailors and they're trying to like help people with acute mental health issues they're not calling your command if you haven't yeah i mean like it's it's they're clearly here for not that reason and so leverage that and and those these are the people you've been looking for so leverage it and let them let them help because there's a there's a lot more people out there willing to help than i think Mm -hmm. Junior sailors. Nobody, are nobody to is up. alone out here. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Yep. Got a whole podcast dedicated to it now. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got?
0: Um, yeah. So in in a nutshell, right? Uh leadership is very important and impactful yeah. to uh to mental health and access to care. So as leaders like you and myself and everybody else out there, we just got to continue to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll just open the opportunity now. If you want to get into your own personal C of triumph, to share it with the group, you don't have to, yeah. but
1: no, totally. I okay. I want, I think it's really important. Um, And you caught me on an interesting day and I'll get to that. Um, but so initially for me, It was like the stress of a twenty-one year naval career, like really, that laid the foundation. Um, And I, I was somebody that like burned the candle at both ends. I wanted to promote early. I wanted to be the best all the time. I wanted to do all the things, qualify all the things, whatever. Um, And so I, I would sacrifice a lot of other things to make that happen, like a a lot of free time, a lot of like my. I went uh, first boat deployed a lot, but you know it was. Probably a pretty typical fast boat submarine experience. Um, Except the first deployment, we launched missiles for Iraqi freedom. So that's not quite that typical, but the rest of it was pretty typical. Um, And then for shore duty, I just went to a naval base, like a sub base, worked at the galley, but I was, I went there to go to culinary school and get out. Um, I was not about a career in the military at that time. I was really angry and bitter and jaded and was not a fan of the organization, much like every other E5 in the Navy, probably, or pretty close. (laughs) I was I was that guy. Um, and then I had a chief that read me like a book and basically was like if I put this kid in charge of people, he will he will turn on and like become what I need him to be. And he kind of I think he recognized some potential in me and stuff too, but um, so he we had a bunch of A school students come straight to the galley because we were super undermanned and we needed help and so he works them out with the detailers. So we had a bunch of brand new kids and he put me in charge of a watch section right as they were showing up. So not only was I like put in charge of this fifteen-person watch section, but I had probably half a dozen of these new kids uh, as well. So I was like, I and I was like the dude that needed a haircut and looked like he slept in his like uniform. And so, so as soon, but as soon as that happened, I became the super squared away guy with shiny shoes and a, and a set haircut and all that. Because I I couldn't. It, it was it was fine if it was just reflecting on me, but then to to be in the position of leading these people, I'm like I can't. And then, so within eighteen months, I was uh, going up for sailor of the quarter and all this crap. And um, but I also started burning the candle at both ends. I, I was going to culinary school full time, working full time, uh, trying to get my volunteer medal by doing all the volunteer things. I was qualified base CDO and standing duty that I didn't even need to stand. I was like doing all the things, trying to promote, and then made first class and and did well on rankings towards the end and one sailor quarter at one point and all that stuff. So like I spent my whole first shore duty with the exception of like the first like 6 months just getting after it. Like so there wasn't a lot of like downtime and leisure um and then I <laughs> then in my infinite wisdom I volunteered God. All right, so uh I'm not sure where I left off exactly, but um yeah so like the for me the like general anxiety insomnia started happening uh on my third submarine um and i I mean i noticed like on deployment stuff having a hard time regulating my mood i was and and it got a lot worse on my third submarine um but i it was the first time i'd spent like a ton of time doing ships control stuff which is uh the watch i was standing was called diving officer the watch and it's You're, I mean, you're the most senior enlisted watchstander on the submarine, and you're, uh, the way I explain it to people so I don't have to, like, go down the rabbit hole of how submarines drive is, like, it's like flying an airplane underwater. And it's, like, I'm not doing it by myself, but I'm the captain, essentially, like, of the flying part. Like, I have the offset deck, like, telling me where to go, um, and then he the offset that controls speed but it's like i give recommendations and then they give course they give course orders i don't do anything with that i just accomplish that by making sure the the helm is doing what he's supposed to be doing and then um we also so we're you're you're in 3d space so it's not just left right it's up down and the ship takes angles because like depending on what we're doing like you know, if you point the submarine down and add propulsion, it's going to go down. As long as the you have to mess with buoyancy, pumping water on and off the submarine, and all sort of stuff. But the the easiest way to explain it is like flying an airplane underwater. And so I'm the guy like supervising the two people that are operating all of the control surfaces, and the guy that's moving water back and forth to control like positive and negative buoyancy, and then you can put weight forward and aft to like control the. But, um. So when they put me in in that position. Um, I wasn't, I didn't deal with it very well. It was like, I was good at it according to the people that evaluated me. Anyway, I thought I was horribly like underprepared all the time. And so like I compulsively studied, like I would look at the night orders, like what are we doing the next day? And then I'd be in the casualty procedures and the operating procedures, like just, and then, and the co's standing orders and everything just compulsively. It sounds like studying. you
0: had like an immense pressure
1: yeah, it was put on you. I was very, um, cause like when I was the, the next subordinate watch is called chief of the watch and it's very procedural. Um, it's like, if this, then that it's very like, there's not a lot of, uh, gray area at all. And, um, there might be a mechanism of like feeling like you have a safety net cause you have the dive, like you have another person above you. But like I could do that and it was fine and it didn't seem to bother me much. But when I got to to where I was standing dive, where it's like kind of like the buck stopped with me and also I kept getting put in positions where um, my office of the deck was like deferring to me for recommendations and advice because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And it like it freaked me out. Yeah, like and I get it like senior enlisted guys supposed to know things. Um, but like the way Cook's career progression on a submarine happens is like second submarine, you qualify chief of the watch, second submarine, maybe, maybe, or more likely third submarine, you qualify dive. But it's like most uh, rates, including LSs, which are like, you know, the other side of the other side of the coin for supplies, like they spend their entire time driving the submarine for the most part. Not everybody like Sonar or and Sonar stuff like that, but a lot. A lot of the uh a lot of the um the watchstanders they spend their entire first tour, like four years driving the submarine, which is a tremendous advantage when you are because then I'm like effectively the supervisory mechanism for the people driving, and it's like, but I never drove, so it's like it's a way steeper learning curve, and you never feel like you have your hands fully around it when you don't get to get all that experience and get comfortable in control driving the submarine just dr- like just driving and and like there's a lot of i used to have like first two or second classes that could trim the ship just because they just knew like it was like an in in innate thing that they picked up by driving the submarine constantly and just being around when we give all those orders and when we do all those things so i didn't have that and so i always i almost felt like an imposter like i didn't even think i should be up there and i kept telling my cob that i kept telling my co that and they kept positively reinforcing my performance and saying no you're great you're doing a good job blah 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 and so but it never went away so i was having trouble sleeping um it was the first time i started to have that like fight or flight feeling in my stomach when i was trying to sleep and i couldn't go to sleep because i was so worried about what was going to happen the next day um sleep issues were already kind of a thing but they got a lot worse Um, and then towards the end of that time, uh, so we, we finished all our deploying. Uh, I didn't crash the ship into anything, and I didn't kill anybody, thank God. Um, but then uh, at the end, of, so when we were done deploying, at the, the very last uh, deployment that we did, I, I was just in the chief's mess, and I was blowing my nose, and pressure backed up on the right side. I'm like, well, that's weird. That's not supposed to happen. And I kind of as- chalked a lot of my sleep issues up to just knowing I had a badly deviated septum. My brother had a similar surgery when he was a teenager. And so I figured, oh, I've just blown it off for a long time. I need to get this fixed. So long story short, went to ENT. Uh, they were like, yeah, you, you know, that you got a badly deviated septum. We'll fix it. There's some, something growing up there. We'll just take that out to you and you'll, you'll be good. And then they got imaging back. And they're like, hey, actually, this is more complicated than we thought. We're going to send you to a Rhino station at a, an army hospital that's more equipped to deal with it. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, I'm I honestly made me feel better because it seemed like they were a little more, I don't know, skilled or experts or whatever. But I was like, oh, okay, bigger, bigger hospital, better doctors. Like, it, I don't know. That's just how I equated it in my head, but. Um, then I got there and they're like, Oh, yep. Yep. Benign growth. Like, uh, and deviated septum, we'll go in there. We'll fix it all at once. Bing, bang, boom. You're done. I come in, uh, for the surgery day and, uh, you know, I got the IV on. I'm in a hospital gown. I'm about to get rolled back. And some army captain comes out and he's like, actually, we're not going to do the surgery today. I'm just going to take a large t- tissue sample. Cause you might have cancer. And I was like, did you just say to me, <laughs> like, it's the first time they ever mentioned that it could be cancer. And it there's a like a part of me that in the back of my mind I was already thinking about the pot because he says things like benign growth or something's growing up there. I'm mm-hmm. in my mind, the way I'm wired, I'm immediately going to worst case scenario. Like I wasn't necessarily like dwelling on it, but like it was just kind of in the back of my mind. Um, so when he said that, I'm like, here we go, um, and then. They so they took a tissue sample three days later. I had cancer, um, and this was March 2020. So what's going on in March 2020? Right, like COVID mania.
0: Mm, like everybody's yeah. freaking right out in the thick nobody, of it.
1: Nobody knows what it is, and it's respiratory. So like this tumor is on my olfactory nerve in my sinus. So it's the worst place it could possibly be, uh, considering COVID is what it is, right? And so they were freaking out. Um, they referred me to a university hospital because it's a very exotic form of cancer. It's like they said like it was like one or two in 10 million people, or in 10 million cancer cases, rather. Um, so they weren't equipped to handle it at this army hospital. They sent me to the university hospital who had to confirm the pathology with some specialists because it's so rare, blah, blah, blah. But they were like trying to rush me into surgery because COVID, like the rules were changing every day and they were like, they might shut down the OR and then we can't take it out. And then if we have to wait six months, this could, like I could, if it kept growing, I could have lost vision in my right eye and all this other fun stuff. So, um, they, I mean, so, so I basically found out I had cancer and like three days later I was in brain surgery. And so we were freaking out about that. Um, and I was scared of the surgery, not so much the radiation and stuff afterwards, because, it's just a grind and it's going to suck and whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's deployment. I'll be fine. Um, but the getting put under and them doing the surgery, uh, that freaked me out because they said, uh, if they, cause they like, we think we can go through your nose, but it, it's still brain surgery. Like they're still like taking down the barrier between your sinuses and your brain and remove some brain tissue. Cause the tumor was like growing up in there. And, uh, but they said there's a chance if it's if we get up there and it's complicated or there's something we don't expect. They said, we're gonna like cut you ear to ear, pull your face down, cut your forehead out, relax your brain back and go in this way. And I was just oh like, my Oh god. my god. And then the surgery went long, so my wife's freaking out, thinking that I'm getting my head stapled back together. And um it, it apparently went perfectly. It just took way longer than it was supposed to for some reason, um, which they never explained. But anyway. So uh we were fr- we were just engaged at the time. Uh so panic like marriage license, go to the courthouse. Mind you, it's COVID, everything's shut down. Thank God they were amazing. I just sent an email to the court officer or whatever, and they opened up for me and um we got legally married so that like if I die in surgery, like everything goes to her. Like that that mm-hmm. was the kind of things I'm trying to process this in three days, freaking oh out, goodness. panicking. Like I want her to I wanna make sure she gets the house and all the things, right? Um, and then all the benefits of like my, yeah, I mean, my SGL, I would have went to her anyway, but you know what I mean? Like all the other things. And so, uh, got all that done, went into surgery, everything was fine. Um, and so I get home and a, pro- a couple of weeks post-op, I'm feeling really good, uh, pro- better than I have in a really long time. Cause now I can breathe a lot better. Um, and I was, so I was sleeping a little bit better and I wasn't at work at all either. I was just, they just basically cause of COVID and also they were just, just stay home and be healthy. Like just if you need, if you need anything, let us know, but just don't even bother coming in. Like, cause I, my primary duty was doing inspections on submarines and they all got shut down cause of COVID. So like we weren't traveling or anything. Um, and so I, I was just home all the time and at, I felt really good and I was sleeping better, but I was like, uh, super irritable and moody and, and whatever, and didn't really understand why. Um, and then, so I think it was about six weeks after surgery, they cleared me to start radiation and radiation. Like I was doing what's called proton radiation, which is kind of like a fancier, more it's like a fancier version, but also they, they, um, it's very, (laughs) it's very targeted. So you don't get as much like tertiary exposure that could lead to other bad things. So, um, so they, when I went in, it was like, it's, you know, it sucks, but it's, you're in there for like 20 minutes. Nothing really happens. Like it, it accumulates over time. And so you get a bunch of gnarly side effects and like I had sores in my mouth and all this really like gnarly, like bruising and ro- like, it just looked like bad sunburn on my neck and face and all this, all this, the hair loss and all that crap. But, um, but at the very beginning, like you go in, you do it it's uncomfortable because they put this like crazy mesh thing on your face to keep you from moving and all this stuff. But like they, it wasn't, I felt exactly the same going in and, and, and leaving after the first treatment. Right. And that's only notable because I got to my car cause my, my wife came with me. I got to my car to drive home. As soon as I closed the door to the car, I started just ugly crying and I had no idea why. Like I, and my wife is like, what's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I have no idea what's happening. Um, and, and, It it got pushed to the back burner because radiation, right? Like I'm in the middle of, of that. So the, the irritability and moodiness and all that crap, plus the, now I can't regulate my emotions, um, like at all. Like, I mean, that would happen periodically where I would just fall apart like that. Um, and I didn't know what was happening, but it was kind of like, ah, cancer, radiation, like with you know what I mean? Like it was. Apparently there's something going on that I'm not fully aware of, but it's because of cancer. And so we kind of blew it off because it just, I just got more and more uh, like I was fatigued. I felt horrible. I was in pain. And so like, of course I'm not in a good mood and I'm not fun to be around. But uh, I, I mean, I spent most of my day in bed and then I'd get up, go to radiation, come back, get back in bed. You know, like it was, it was pretty much, that was pretty much the cycle. Um. But then once radiation was over and like it's it's like uh, a snowball effect. So like it gains inertia and then you got to like let that bleed off. So like I stopped radiation and it took like a month to get for all those symptoms and BS to go away or like the the gnarly stuff anyway. Um, So then like, you know, I'm six weeks post radiation and I'm still like emotional and um snapping at my wife and snap just being a dick for no reason and stuff like it was it it was ridiculous and she finally is just like all right like you need to do something about this and i hadn't even realized how bad it was um until she confronted like i just needed her to confront me about it and I, i i'm based on life experience i won't like it's rabbit hole i won't go down but like uh that's all it would, that's all it took for her because I'm not ever going to go down a road where because I'm a moron, I'm going to like blow my marriage up. You know, like if she tells me I got to do something about this. I'm about to go do something about this right now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's what happened. So I went to my IDC. P- he said, go to your PCM, get a referral, go to mental health. So I started seeing a psychologist. Um, so it was probably about six months and it, it helped a lot. I was doing really well. I started, uh, that's what around when I started doing jujitsu. So, um, physical health, mental health, everything was trending up. I was feeling really good and it was, uh, exactly one year ago today. Uh, so it was the f- Friday. It was Friday night. Um, so it would have been last night is when I recognized I, I just got done with like day five that week of jujitsu, which is, it's really difficult physical training. Um, and I was sleeping better. And what? I, and I remember being at the gas station after jujitsu and I felt amazing. Like my body felt good. I had energy and I'm like, I just got done like with simulating, killing grown men and them trying to kill me for an hour. And I just felt incredible. And I just, I remember it vividly. Like I felt so good and I'm like, oh my God, this is working. The next morning I had a phone call that my brother and two nieces were killed and it was, it wasn't. Uh, and I don't want to go to the details cause I'll, I'll be a blubbering mess, but like it, it the way I describe it because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole is it was, it was not a traditional, like I don't traditional is the wrong word, but you know, no know kind of what I'm getting at is like, it wasn't like an accident. It was like a true crime documentary. Like it was the way that it happened and, and there's just still a bunch of stuff we don't know. And so that it like compounded everything. And so like, right as i felt like i was cresting a hill it just all got blown up and got way way worse um so that was th- that was exactly a year ago today was was when we wow. were killed um which the, i and i didn't even realize it until a few hours before we started this because um my wife asked me last night we were kind of taught cuz we knew it was coming like my brother's birthday is um the 11th I th- i'm almost positive um and like and so i remember vividly like it was almost his birthday like he was his 42nd birthday was like you know it's about a, a little over a week after when it happened um and then my nieces were 16 and 9 and it like it it i knew it was coming because it was it's early february but it's, I'm, I'm the type that like, I don't want to remember what day that happened, mm-hmm. but I know my mom who's very similar to me, um, in a lot of ways, but I know she ha- she has that date burned in her brain forever. And she sent me a, a, me and my wife a text today. Just, it, and it was just like one of those, like, you're just in our thoughts and we love you and and vice versa. And and so I was like, oh, it's today. Like, okay. I was like, I, I wasn't, I knew it was like, I thought it was between the fourth and the sixth. And I was just like, I know it's like one of these days, but I, it was something like, I don't, I don't want it. Like, I don't want to remember that day. I remember mm-hmm. them on their birthdays and I remember right. like things we did and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to remember it this way necessarily. But, um, yeah, the irony was just, I got that text today and then, uh, I knew I was going to end up talking about it once my phone reminded me that I was doing this today. And I was just like, yikes, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a thing, but it, it it's, it's good though. Cause like I, I, I like talk, I, I'm not as equipped to talk about my brother and the girls as I am like my anxiety and insomnia and all that other stuff. But it, it still helps to like talk about it um, generally because like it, I'll never know what happened. And that's what's so ridiculous. And I'll, when we stop recording, I'll, I'll tell you as much as I can without ugly crying. But like the, uh, it's it this way the situation happened it's like i'm never going to know what happened or why it happened i just know that they're gone and it doesn't make any any sense and i'll never be able to put the puzzle pieces in the right way to at least be able to to know what happened so that i can then start trying to like cope with that you know you know it's like i almost just have to compartmentalize it and just accept that i'm never going to know and that in certain types of ways it doesn't matter because my brother was who he was and I loved him and he was a great person and my nieces were amazing. And it's like, so whatever happened that night, it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, because it doesn't change everything that happened for 42 years before that in, in my unqualified analysis and like the things I talk to my psychologist about, but So then, when that happened, uh, it was like my whole life exploded. Um, So completely off the rails. Like I was couldn't sleep at all. Um, Like couldn't control my emotions. Just like the whole the whole thing all over again, but way worse. And so that's when um, psychologists immediately put me on Limdu. uh, Mm -hmm. Went to a psychiatrist. They put me on Zoloft for. Um, cause at first it like, it didn't do anything for the anxiety, but my mood improved, which is apparently how mm-hmm. that works. Like lower doses improve mood. And then, uh, so they upped the dose after they saw that I didn't have like gnarly side effects. Um, and then once they upped it, uh, I think it was the second time it started to like, it, it took the edge off of the anxiety. Like it wasn't gone, but it, like it helped me it like brought it down to a threshold where I think like therapy and other, other tools like reasonably managed it. Um, And so, yeah, a year later I like, so I stopped therapy leaving the military with the goal of like, I was in a pretty good place and, and my therapist was kind of like, so what, what's this transition going to look like? What do you think you need? That kind of thing. And we had a conversation. I'm like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. I know I have access to care for the rest of my life. So it's like, if, if I'm wrong, I'll just go access care again through the VA. Cause that's a transition I needed to make anyway. Cause I was retiring. So I was mm-hmm. like, I think I'm going to try to not do it at least for a period of time. Um, and I was in a good enough place, too, where they gave me a 90-day supply of the meds leaving the Navy, and I talked to my psychiatrist about it. it was just like, so I think, like, when I get towards the end, I'm going to, like, wean off of it because I, I, I was really adamant about not being on this for the rest of my life if I can help it. Um, and so I, I – between – between all of the things that I know I should be doing and that I try to do and that um, I have done in the past to try to get back on track, um, I would say I'm like, I'm not where I was the night before in, in certain types of ways where like my sleep was way, like doing well and like the anxiety didn't feel as very present at all. Um, it still happened, but it wasn't like it was it was under control. like. Uh, Or at a reasonable level, anyway. Um, And I just remember feeling amazing. And now it's like it's it just depends, you know. Like I uh, there's days that are are not great and days that are pretty good, and you know everything in between. And like I uh, am acutely aware of it all the time. In that, like I know I need to be doing certain things. Like I know I need to. I'm trying. I try really hard, even though I. I, I, it's funny I'm saying this out loud right now because I failed really hard to do it last night. I was up till like three in the morning, but it's like, go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. Like sleep hygiene stuff is big for me. Cause I have, I have like all the things working against me. Like I have both kinds of sleep apnea. I have the insomnia and anxiety problem. I have like all of these issues that are conspiring to keep me from sleeping and keep me from doing all the things that, that help with the other stuff too. Um, but, Definitely in a in a way better place. But what's interesting to me about it is it was my reaction to cancer was um, like, of course I have cancer. And it, part of that's the nihilist in me. But part of it is uh, it felt like, like I didn't feel like at, at any point except for the brain surgery part that just I, there was an irrational fear mechanism there. But like, I mean, while well, it was probably pretty rational actually, but you know what I mean? Um, but I didn't think it was like going to kill me. Like I thought this is a really difficult experience. I'm going to have to go through to learn something. Um, and so it's like, I looked at it almost like, yep, this is going to suck, but I'm going to come out on the other end of it better. Um, and I did in a lot of ways, like a lot of the reasons why I'm, I'm as physically healthy as I am is because that got fixed. Right. And, Um, had it not, I would have had all these other issues, but also like I just quality of life and my ability to breathe through my nose. So now I can do, uh, like fitness and sleep better and all the stuff that I couldn't do it at anywhere near the capacity I can do it now. And then those things all feed into me sleeping better and and doing all these other things. I'm still not where I need to be, even with just like my CPAP compliance. (laughs) Like I'm just, I have trouble falling asleep and that's like the first thing to go so that I can get to sleep. Uh, if I can't fall asleep with it on. Um, and I mean, there's a bunch of other things that I do to try to, I don't know, address those things. And it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very much a waveform nowadays than it was like back then. It just seemed like I just kept trending up, trending up, trending up. Mm-hmm. And then that happened. Now it's kind of, it's very much like this. Like yesterday, um, there was a point right before I, and I went to jujitsu anyway, cause I know it, it'll, it'll help. But, I like just wanted to, like, I, I started getting anxious for some reason. I don't even know why. Like, I don't have anything I could point at. I just started to feel like I just want to crawl in a dark hole and, like, just leave me alone. um And so I laid down in bed for like 20 minutes under the blankets, just like sitting there. And I set an alarm and then I got up and made myself go to jujitsu and I felt a lot better after I went. And it's so I know there's like those things and I'm going to, like, there's going to be up and down days. There's going to be times like, Um, I, when I, I went home for the funerals in February last year and my mom being my mom, uh, just has these boxes full of pictures and she had them divided up by, I have, I have three brothers. So divided up by son. Right. And, um, so I went through all of them and like took some pictures out. Um, but I wanted more pictures than I had of, of my brother and the girls. Um, and so I bought a bunch of picture frames, uh, and I, I had gone to like a, I'm like a uh antique person like i go to like those shops and try to find cool stuff and so i found these like vintage picture frames that i thought were really cool and they're very like my wife's style as well even though i thought they were cool um and so like i got them and i'm like i came into like this office is i got the box of pictures and stuff over here i tried to start putting pictures of them and just melted like it was and i like (laughs) i tried to walk out into the uh living room area, dining room area, and I didn't even make it. I was going out to the garage to grab, like, uh, I'm addicted to kombucha and, like, all this. I just went to go do something else and didn't even make it to the door and, like, collapsed and was, like, ugly crying and my dog's, like, licking my face. (laughs) Like, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, like, so there's days like that also where it's, like, it it just comes in waves and you don't expect it. And I I thought I was in a place where I could do that. and Because I have pictures on the wall. Like, that was one of the first things I did after it happened was I got some pictures and some picture frames. And I have this little like photo collage right outside this door as you leave the office. Um, so I see them every day. Like, it's not like, you, you know, but for some reason it was like, I saw new, it was all these new pictures and all these memories and all the things. And I just, so it's like those things happen and then the anxiety things happen. so it's just, it's very much a waveform good and bad days. But, um, yeah. but yeah, and it, 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 what's, what's strange to me about it though, is like mm-hmm. the, <laughs> it's it's so bizarre like the version of myself that i am now i'm so much happier with than i ever was like who i was before any of this happened and so in this really strange way and i you know obviously like i don't wish that like i'm not happy any of these things happened like i don't i didn't want to go through cancer i obviously didn't want to lose those people but like I don't know. Like, there's something about, and that's why I'm such an. I've I've become such an advocate for mental health care. I was always the like, you know, f the stigma, go get the help if you need it, guy. Before I even engaged in in any type of care myself. But then when I went through it all myself and like had to overcome that anxiety, I came up in a navy where you didn't do this. Like it was like a, a cop out. You were a quitter. Like, we had this culture on submarines where they'd call it tapping out. Like, oh, yeah, that guy tapped out. He's, he Or they call it going sad as well. That's another one mm-hmm. that you'll hear in the submarine forces. Yeah,
0: I've heard, you know, kind of some of the old timers like, yeah. say that too. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's, but that's what, I, that's the culture I came up in. So here I am, this uh, master chief going over to, my, oh, I was a senior chief at the time. And going up to my master chief IDC going like, okay what does me accessing mental health care look like? And I was like nervous and intimidated and I'd overcome all that like baggage from before where everybody was telling me this is what quitters do. Even though I was the guy also saying the the things you're supposed to say, like, Mm -hmm. you know, advocating for the care. And so now it's, I, I, I remember talking to uh, Jason and Jeff before any of this, like this was before cancer and stuff. Like I did those podcasts with them. And I remember being so freaking impressed with them. Like they're such, there's such a depth and breadth to their character and, and like their perspectives on things. And they're so in touch with like who they are good, bad and ugly. And like what that means and like how they can learn things from it. And I just remember being blown away by how in touch they were with like who they were and their strengths and weaknesses and all the stuff. And then like, having gone through all this stuff now it's like i feel like i i'm that guy now and mm-hmm. like and it's it's sucks the scar tissue sucks obviously like you you because it never goes away like that the the thing that you're dealing with like it's it, that's never it's never going to be gone like and even like cancer like i have all these tertiary symptoms uh, or like like issues that that will never go away like shooting pain in my jaw like i got to do these saline rinses in my with my sinuses i got um tinnitus hilariously for military people i got tinnitus from doing radiation so like my ears ring constantly but it's not because i of any like noise exposure it's because i got cooked from the neck up um all kinds of crap that just like it'll never go away it's always going to be there it's always going to be a thing i have to deal with um, and it'll always remind me that like that happens. Um, and like, I'm like probably going to get like cataracts in the next yeah. 10 years and like all this just crap that's going to happen. Cause I got my face blasted with radiation. So I don't know, like it, for me, like it's, it's this weird, like evolution that I didn't like I, I never saw it coming, even though I knew there was things I would need to learn. I didn't see like a whole new version of of myself and like a whole, cause I, I mean, I fancied myself a pretty mature, like, uh, you know, world traveled, mildly educated person. Like I thought I was pretty, like, I thought I had, I had done and seen a lot at that point and, and, um, had matured to a level where it's like, like not that I didn't think more wisdom and experience from life would come, but I didn't think it would come like this, and I didn't think it would change me the way that it did. And I sure the hell like if you had told me ahead of time what was going to happen, I would have. Ne- I would have been like, "That's going to destroy me. That's not going to exactly. help. Like, how anything. am
0: I supposed to come through this?" Yeah,
1: right. I don't. I, and, and I still am like, I mean, it's still still processing, obviously, but I, I feel like I'm largely through it. Even though there's, you know, it's you're never, it's never gone. But like, yeah, it, it. I'm in a in a bizarre way, way, way happier with the person that I am now than who I was before any of this stuff happened. Which is why I I continually uh, advocate for like, don't just access mental health care. Burn everything to the fucking ground if you have to to get at. Like, I don't. Oh, you lost your five day old military career who cares you're still here you're going to be better on the other end of it i guarantee it it's like go engage with this demand the care that you're entitled to and really engage with it too like i had a lot of great people one of them she was my prior a school student um she attended my wedding saint of a human being uh she sent me this book on like processing trauma And uh, was telling me like, okay, when she was basically like coaching me through my mental health journey, because she had a bunch of mental health issues. And she's like, you don't have to settle for your first therapist, you can go and if you don't like them, and they're not the right one, did you just tell them you want a new one? And it was it was she was like my mental health mom, even though she was I went
0: through three, there was one that the Navy gave me and he sounded like a total surfer, bro. And like he was like reading straight from the textbook. I was like, No, sir, this is not gonna work.
1: (laughs) I got so lucky because I walked in shout out to lieutenant maxwell anderson yes i just doxed you um great dude i walked into his office he looked like he was 12 years old i'm like this is not gonna work and, and i'm like a, a bit of a mama's boy so i kind of thought a female therapist might be better but i walked in and i'm like just give him just give him a chance give him at least one full session and he was amazing and i i, I loved it never after the first few sessions like i remember I think it was the second one. Um, I walked out and it was a sunny day uh, and I walked out and I had somewhere to go afterwards. Um, I don't remember where, but I remember I just walked out. I felt lighter. I felt like I had just taken off a weight vest. I was smiling for no reason. I was like, what is happening? Like It was so weird because of where I had been at. And and I'm two sessions in and I'm not saying it's going to be everybody's experience, but just I wasn't doing anything. And all of a sudden I was doing something and I was doing something with a therapist that was really great at his job. Um, and so it just, yeah, I, rem- and I told my wife about it when I got home. I was like, it was so weird. I was just smiling for no reason. And I felt lighter and like, like I had like, almost like a pep in my step. It was so strange. Cause I am not that dude. I am not a cockeyed optimist. I am not, uh, somebody that is, is traditionally going to react that way, but it was, that's just what happened. And it was amazing. And he was a great, great therapist. So I got, and I say that a lot. Like I got spectacularly lucky, not just with like the timeline of me getting access to care because I, I am under no illusions that somehow there was some privilege involved where somebody decided that uh, like I needed access quicker. And I have a feeling my, buddy that was the master chief idc put me on the top of a pile or something but it could have been a bunch of other things but i got really quick access to care like a couple weeks after the referral um and i got really lucky with just catching the right there like i just got the best guy they had i, I mean and he was amazing and then uh same thing like same thing happened with some other stuff where I, i've i've recognized that i've gotten either spectacularly lucky by chance or spectacularly lucky that people were looking out for me in, I didn't even know. It's not like I would have never asked to be at the front of the line because I'm a master chief or whatever. It's like, that's not a thing that like, yeah, I need to see somebody, but I could have waited. Like there's people that probably need it faster or whatever. Um, cause I wasn't in that place I, that I was a year ago today. Right. Like it, it, at this time it was just anxiety and moodiness and mm-hmm. stuff. So like I could, I could have waited a little, Fine, but not that you should have to, but it reality, you know. Um, so yeah, that's hopefully that wasn't too rambly. Like, I'm not great, I kind of lose some of my ability to articulate some of the stuff when I'm talking about myself and these experiences. For
0: no, I think that was great and like really beneficial for the audience to hear because you were hit by like two blows, like really close within each other. And um, the fact that, you know, your message is that you're better for it is so powerful because I feel the same way. Like I don't want what happened to me to ever happen to anybody else, but it made me into a different person and I'm grateful for that person. So yeah,
1: yeah, that is my seat of triumph. Boom.
0: <laughs> I was well, thank it. you for sharing.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for doing this as well. Um, I like, probably too early on to gauge uh, any kind of a, a meaningful response, but people are listening. I can tell you that like, you've got probably 400 downloads on the two episodes so far. So oh,
0: wow. That's it's, crazy. Wow. It,
1: typical for, for podcasts within the first 24 hours for me is usually like, um, call, like two, three. It, it, I mean, it depends on what it is and how interested, like the beards one will probably be big, you know, like, um, but, yeah, it, I mean, people are listening, and it's out there in the ether now. So, like, I, I, I think you'll see a snowball effect, and I, I can't imagine it's, it's not going to be like very positive for a lot of people. So, and well, I, if it I,
0: just reaches one person, yep, you know, that's 100%. all I can hope for. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. I yeah. think you'll find that uh, over time it'll do a whole hell of a lot more than that. And so, like, I, I'm. I'm very thankful that you're willing to do this because it's super important and it's something that I've wanted to focus on for a while now. And I just, you know, at some point I needed to like force multiply (laughs) myself because I'm just like, here
0: we are. (laughs) Yeah,
1: here we are. So yeah. Thank you so much for doing this as well. I really
0: appreciate it. No, no, thank you. All right. We'll talk later. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Seeds of Triumph. That was your D Guts podcast host. Don't give up the ship. Um, He has a fantastic leadership podcast catered towards those looking for leadership, mentorship, and really just all things Navy. Um, Please tune in to his podcast as well. And as always, If you are looking for mental health resources, please visit the link in the episode description. And if you would like to contact the Seeds of Triumph podcast, we can be reached at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for tuning in. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.